It's time for the View in Your Mirror podcast. I'm Katie Harms, and along with Lisa Rubin, we help you check in and curate the best possible you and the best view in your mirror. We share tips, tricks, and strategies from our 35 plus years in our respective industries. We talk about your day from morning to night and everything in between. We share our uniqueness, relish in our shared experiences. Along the way, we share conversation with fabulous people who give us their own thought-provoking insights. So come along as we help you hone the best view in your mirror. Good morning, my beautiful friend, Lisa Rubin. How are you? Good morning, Katie. You know, we always say good morning on this podcast. We do. Because we like recording in the morning. We do. We do better in the morning, don't we? Well, I know I do much better in the morning. <laughs> don't <laughs> talk to me do after nine o'clock tonight. <laughs> Well, okay, maybe maybe give me till noon, but you know what? I just feel I think we set our intent on the day, right? I know you very intentioned on your day and how you organize and all of that. And probably the closer to morning, the more control we have over things. And then, you know, the day gets away from you. And or am I just speaking for myself? You know, I've had those days. Yeah. We've all had those days. Isn't that the truth? But I I need to say. You are looking fabulous. And this is what I love about interactions with women. And uh, in general, you know, you get together and it's always like, you look great. You look great. Love your hair. Love this. Love that. And then you go on to doing the business. Absolutely. That's what women do. That Because that's what kind of makes us feel good. Right? Right. Definitely. And we kind of match today, Katie. We do. We are in a similar color palette without even talking about it. I know. Mm-hmm. I love it. You yes. look also very pretty. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, we have a guest coming on later. Uh, I am super excited about, I mustered up all my strength to go introduce myself in the airport when I saw her there. And I had a sliver of a moment to sneak in and um, say hello and tell her about the podcast. She couldn't have been more lovely. So really excited to get to know Arkel Giorgio. Dr. Arkel Giorgio, and you're going to tell us a little bit more about her later. But first, you know, we're going to talk about her book. We're going to, she's just, we're going to go all sorts of places with her, I'm sure. But as we were doing our pre-work, one thing really became clear to me, and you and I talked about this, and here's what we came up with together. We love to connect with people who appreciate the process of aging, because if we're lucky, we get the opportunity to do it. Absolutely. That's exactly what we said. And aren't we lucky, right? I mean, we all have our days and we all look in the mirror, right? And say, oh my God. And there's a lot of women who try to do many things to change the appearance of aging, right? But the mental piece of aging is also a just equal to what the outside looks like. And I think the mental piece is actually the harder part, right? It is absolutely, especially when we're living in a world that is so visual and, and so celebrates youth and staying young and everything you can do to stay young. The narrative to me is staying healthy, especially having gone through some health crises I'll tell you what, staying healthy will help with every other part 
and outlook and, you know, body, mind, soul, it's all connected. And we all age every single one of us. And if we are the opportunity, yes, at the opportunity. Yes. Well, if you're walking the face of the earth, you're aging, depending on when, depending on when your aging stops is carries a lot of factors, right? Right. While you're here walking the face of the earth, our job as we've defined it is to help you to feel the best that you can possibly be. And I hope that the guests we're having on today can also give us some tips and tricks and because she has built her career on helping humans <laughs> navigate their healthcare, right? Right, right. Yes. And it's interesting, you know, ageism is a word that will come up, I'm sure. And which is really what we're talking about. And what absolutely delights me is when you look at who we've had on as guests, really all ages, I just got, I was just tickled pink, as my grandmother used to say, (laughs) talking about aging yourself. When we had Alexa Curtis, who was our last guest, and she was talking about something and she said, well, you know, young people these days, and I don't know if she considered herself in that group, but we had identified her truly as an old soul. And I think she felt like she had walked to the earth for a long time in her level of knowledge. But we have been blessed to have just such a great group of people as our guests, all ages, all different outlooks. And if it tells us anything, everyone's got an opinion, right? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to put it bluntly, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) We prefer to highlight the opinions that can help us with our own personal growth. And that gets hard, as does, I think, what we're going to talk with Arkel about is navigating the healthcare system. It gets hard because there's so many opinions. There's so many things out there now on TikTok, on any social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter on proper way to do things, proper buzzwords, all of these things. And so you really have to become your own best advocate to how you wade through these. And sometimes, and and maybe I'm just speaking to myself here. Maybe I'm speaking to myself and saying to myself and others, you have to find what works for you and turn off the noise. Or as someone very eloquently said to me recently, go into the weeds. I'm in the weeds a lot. You would be the person that counseled me on that. So- (laughs) I have no problem saying, my friend, it was sage advice. Well, I just think that sometimes if you just watch what's going on, you can get more information about yourself and what you're thinking. Because if you, or listen, if you listen, um, I have tried a lot as I got older or as I am getting older to do more of that. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. Listening was my word for last year. Maybe I should really just resurrect it for this year. <laughs> Probably right. would do me well. And and actually, I do have to say, having the ability to have that conversation with you that was much needed for me, um, having that person 
And I know you are that to many people. And I don't know if you even want that to be known, but you are. And it is so appreciated to have that type of a friend that it doesn't matter. You can you can show up at your worst and you are there to pick me up and set me right back on track. So even, I, you know, when I think I got my shit together, having someone say to you, no, you got to look at some other things. So I think that's part of the process of aging too, is being able to say, holy smokers, I don't have all the answers. And sometimes the learning moments come from those closest to you. Definitely. And you have to know who your people are, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes you connect and you think you know who your people are and they're really not your people. And I actually think that as you continue to gracefully get older <laughs> from all of your experiences in the past, you learn who those people are. And I always said that the older I get, the less the the less friends I really need, right? I mean, I have a lot of acquaintances. I mean, my business is built on relationships. All my clients are my clients and some of them have become very good friends, but you know how to, to, you you figure out to decide who you want to form your circles, right? Absolutely. Had this conversation with some other friends on a walk yesterday. Just truly, you, you are able to cut down on the BS too. And, and you're able, and it's our own growth. You know, you have to, you have to be able to say for my own growth, this is what I need. And it doesn't really matter what the other person needs. It's not that you're uncaring. It's, it's just that you're not going to carry that relationship or hold that relationship in the same place that you did before, because you've become more aware. Right. And with each experience you have in life, hopefully you learn from it and you continue to grow and move on. Amen. Well, talking about growth and moving on and uh, long and winding careers and tell us a little bit more about our guest coming on, Arkel Giorgio. Well, she is a very accomplished woman. She's been building on more than 30 years of experience as a physician, business executive, and an on-air medical correspondent. She helps organize and bring a multidimensional lens to the healthcare strategy. She's data-driven approach, and she has so much that she has done to help humans, to help people in the healthcare system. And, you know, when I was reading her bio, which I recommend everybody to go and actually look at her bio, she has done so much for so many. And I think that that everybody is going to get a little piece of her today. And I'm really excited to have her on. Me too. Let's take a quick break. We're going to hear from Continental Diamond. I'll be right back to welcome Arkel Giorgio. Are you ready to elevate your jewelry and gift buying experience? Then you need Continental Diamond. Since 1981, Helene and Jimmy Pessis have been operating Continental Diamond. Their staff is highly trained, exceptional, and have been with them for many years, and they will help you find the exact right gift. For the past 13 years, Continental Diamond has been named Minnesota Bride's Best Jeweler. Beyond engagement rings, they have a large selection of fashion jewelry, timepieces, and they have one of the most experienced service departments around. 
you can visit them online at continentaldiamond.com. Go in and give yourself the gift of that experience. It's a special place located just 10 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, right outside the West End. Plan your visit. Continental Diamond. Continentaldiamond.com. Arkel Giorgio. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to do this podcast with you this morning. Thank you so much. We are beyond. And as I told the story in the intro, when I saw you sitting in the airport and you were just perfect because I've seen you before and it was like, she's sitting right across from me. And then I was getting ready to chat with you. And this gentleman came up and you had a conversation with him for a while. And I thought, oh, my opportunity is gone. I got to get a plane. But we had that brief moment and I'm so glad we did. And what warmth and openness came from you in that, I would say two minutes was pretty special. So truly, and then getting to know you more and Lisa's done, Lisa's the consummate researcher has made connections and done a fabulous job of learning more about you. And so happy to start the conversation with a really tough question. Okay. What's old? How do you determine old? I don't know that I can define it for you. I think old is a frame of mind. It's a state of mind that frankly is unhealthy. And so, you know, one of my biggest challenges is that I'm 60 years old and I'm happy to share that, but I feel sometimes I look at myself and I feel like I look and feel and act 30, 35, 40. So I don't, I don't know what this concept of old is. And certainly I know what it means chronologically, um, you know, that there are certain realities to aging, but I don't see it as a negative. And I hope no one else does either. Amen. It's the whole reason we're doing this podcast. Well, I think that ageism, and if you've listened to anything that I've done recently, I've really started to focus on ageism as an issue. It is, you know, we all know that racism, sexism, all the other isms are so terrible, so inappropriate, have no place in our world. But yet ageism is institutionalized in everything we do, I'm sure that all three of us naturally, unintentionally express things that are ageist every single day. We read it. If we, if you ever sent an over the hill 50th birthday card to somebody, that's an ageist action. <laughs> so I think that if you look at the science behind ageism and negative use to, toward aging, it is not only inappropriate, but it makes people feel like they have no value, no worth, that they're unattractive, and it actually decreases, it It impacts people's health, overall health. So true. Okay, converse that though with the world we live in on social media where everything's about staying young. That's not what you're talking about. Well, I don't think that aging is a disease that we need to cure or a process that we need to change. It is part of life and we're aging every single second from the moment we're born. So aging is what we celebrate when our kids were young. And unfortunately, our culture and society has determined it, that at some point in the 40, 50 year old range, it becomes problematic and we want to stop it. But it's so healthy. We have to celebrate it just as we do from the moment people are born. I am. Um, you know, I give many talks publicly 
And recently I did a little bit of a trick question at the beginning of a session and I asked the audience, they were a group of young audiologists, they were in the 25 to 35 year old range. And I asked them, you know, who in the room felt like they were aging and no one raised their hands. And then I asked who thought their parents were aging and a few raised their hands. And I just paused and I don't hesitate making people uncomfortable because that's who I am (laughs) and let them know that they've been aging since the day they were born. And that, that in fact was, that is ageism um, as it's been institutionalized in our society. And yes, it made them a little uncomfortable, but you have to make the point. But that is so true what you just said. And, you know, when Katie and I were talking yesterday to prepare for this podcast, you know, I said to her that we're aging at any age. And you just said that in a different way. In our 20s, we think about certain things in our 30s, like decades, you know, and it's, I think when women get to be like in their mid 40s or 50s, when they start going through menopause, things happen, right? And I think that that mental piece kicks in too about the aging. And that's a whole nother topic that I think gets pushed aside and isn't talked about. It isn't talked about often enough. I I do want to go back though, and make sure that I also make the point that I have no issues with doing safe things that are right for you that might mask. um, How do I say this? Botox, fillers, hair color, hair cutting, makeup, exercise, all of those things can if they're right for you, make you feel better about how you look. So I want to make sure that I distinguish between ageism and aging and seeing it as a disease that we have to stop or fix. And which is all of that, uh, I, I wish we could get away from versus completely being supportive of safe procedures, cosmetics, injections that people use if it makes them feel better about themselves. I think it's important to separate those two. I agree with that. And also it goes back also to the mental piece, right? So if it makes them feel better, it will help with the mental too. Absolutely. It's interesting, you know, having, you have three daughters. I have three daughters. Lisa has a daughter. You have three granddaughters. I do. I have three daughters, three granddaughters and three grand dogs and, you know, everyone's female. So there's a lot of estrogen in our family, my poor husband. Oh my gosh. So I have the three daughters and our oldest two grandchildren are daughters. And we had to laugh and then our little grandson came along. So we're <laughs> the scales are starting to tip, but you know, you look at the messaging and when you become a parent and Lisa's daughter is the mom of a daughter. So we, we, you know, we're, we're well poised to be able to talk about all areas of this. What you want is healthy, happy thoughts on these things. And I talk to my girls all the time about the focus, you know, what, what are you focusing on? And even to myself, okay, I really hate my upper lip. I hate my upper lip. I hate my upper lip. Nobody else sees me and goes, oh, there's Katie. She's got a horrible upper lip. Right. So we bring a lot of that on ourselves, but at the same time, just like you said, you have to balance it with what makes you feel good so that you can present your best self, your best view in the mirror before you go out and do whatever you do to get through the day. Very true. And the, the research study that I was referencing earlier looked at how often people are exposed to ageism. So you could be exposed to it in the environment, 
you could be exposed to it interpersonally. But the most of us, 82% of us are doing it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest problem to solve is self-ageist perspectives and messages. And so when we think about how do we begin to combat this, it starts with us mm-hmm. and changing, changing our frame, changing our language. And then it, if we all begin to take small steps to changing ourselves, it will permeate, hopefully, through the rest of the community. I'm going to push back a little bit on that, though. And I'm going to go back to when I was in my 30s and I had a, uh, we were in a car accident. I had a shoulder injury. And my husband's an orthopedic surgeon. At the time, he was his second career was a chemical engineer and went back. And we were in this car accident and I hurt my shoulder. And I ended up going to a very good orthopedic surgeon talk about my shoulder. And his comment was, well, you are in your thirties. So, right. It started back then. And I think of the messaging that we have and in health, navigating health issues and hearing messaging from those you trust. Well, you know, that's to be expected. You are in your menopause year. You know, Lisa talked about it. So along with what we do to ourselves, that messaging has to be coming in to make us think these things. I'm not abdicating my responsibility to say, nope, you know what? I'm pretty damn good and I'll be okay. And I just put a smile on my face. And I remember my mom's, you know, put some lipstick on, you're going to be fine. But that messaging comes from somewhere. It does come from somewhere. Um, And it's not limited to women. I do want to highlight that it's not just limited to women. So my husband's 71 and he's an extreme sports kind of guy and he loves to ski and just came back from a wonderful week. And he said, you know, Arkell, if I'm going to keep skiing, I really may need a knee replacement. So he's thinking about that. And I'm sure that an orthopedic surgeon somewhere will say, really, David, you're going to have surgery. I mean, you're 71. Do you really need to knock out those moguls? And, um, and so I, I think that the resounding yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He does. (laughs) And he will. Um, So we're all exposed to it. It's pervasive. It's institutionalized. You're right. So we've tried to define old, which is a state of mind, which I love aging. So aging is real. So how do you combat the steps to aging? What I've seen the research say is that the first thing to change is really that self-talk. I have taken steps myself to stop saying statements like, if I, for, if I forget someone's name, I will not again say, oh my gosh, I'm having a senior moment. I won't say it anymore. I may think it. I'm trying to stop thinking it as well. I will not say it. I, when I shop for clothes, I want to feel good in those clothes, but I don't allow myself to say, well, I'm too young for that dress. And so I begin to change the messages that I tell myself. Um, But this is a big challenge. And that's why this is so embedded into our society. It's it's like moving a rock uphill. I will tell you that I'm involved in another organization uh, that there are many organizations that are thinking about this. There's a large um, advertising agency that makes you know cards that you might send out for holidays. So I won't mention the company name, but they are doing research with the group I'm involved in to figure out how to avoid having ageist images on the holiday cards, on the birthday cards, on the sympathy cards, and how do they change the images 
in their portfolio of products so that they're not ageist. And they, they're starting from scratch on the research, trying to figure out what that looks like. So it's not an easy answer. And uh, I think it's going to take generations and generations, but we can take small steps ourselves. That makes sense. Lisa, you have a whole list of questions. A whole list. Yeah, I, I do. I do. But I'm I'm so fascinated by what she's saying. I just keep listening. I know. I know. I um, love that you're data driven. Always. Well, data wins. Yes. I am definitely like that. Let's get into one more question about this is, do you feel like women and men age differently, even on the mental side of it? Hmm. Because they don't have the same hormones we have, let's be honest. That's exactly where I was going to go with the answer to that question is that around the age of 45 or 50, women have a big transition in their production of estrogen from their ovaries. And so that is really what triggers the aging process. A lot of the aging process for women distinguished from men who may produce less testosterone and may occur at a different phase of their chronological life. So yes, men and women are biologically different, but essentially we, our cells are ticking along at the same pace. So there, there are ways in which men and women age similarly, and there are ways in which we age differently. And so I I think we need to distinguish between those. I think we need to remember that particularly with heart disease, men and women have different outcomes. They're at risk at different ages. So it's a, it's a mixed answer to your question, but that's probably a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) Society clearly treats people differently, whether they're men or women based on their physical appearance. I think physical aging is what society is responding to. And yes, I think women and men have a different experience with aging because of the reaction to the physical changes that goes into your book. And I love my book. So I'm happy to talk about that (laughs) as long as you want. What chapter did you read that you're zooming in on with that comment? Just in general, your book about navigating, right? It's, It's an individualized thing. So you have to navigate what works for you and advocate for what your needs are. Absolutely. The whole premise of the book, if I had to summarize it in one or two sentences, is that People need to remember that clinically trained professionals, doctors, nurses are experts in diagnosis and treatment, the testing to validate a diagnosis. They are experts in that. And we shouldn't try to second guess that piece of it. However, an individual is an expert in themselves, their preferences, their priorities, their values, and you need both the expertise on the clinical side and the expertise on the on the personal side you need a great combination of those two elements to come up with the best treatment plan and therefore the best outcome too many patients don't take charge of their personal preferences priorities and values they abdicate that and say to the doctor what do you what would you do What do you think? And so what you're asking the physician clinician to do is not only use their clinical expertise, which is fine. You're asking them to impose their values on your health. And studies show that when a physician does that on behalf of a patient, 
there's frequently discordance in the decision that's made around the medical care. And if you would tolerate me sharing an example. Yes, we love examples. Please. (laughs) So when a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer and there are certain types of breast cancer where you have the option of a modified radical mastectomy, take the breast off versus a lumpectomy and radiation. And if you, in this study, they asked physicians, the surgeons, what do you think the best approach is? And the overwhelming majority of physicians said, well, a lumpectomy and radiation, because you don't remove the breasts, you don't create um, sort of the, the deformity that may occur from that. Um, you don't affect somebody's sexuality. And all those things are really important. The women, on the other hand, said, just take the breast off. I don't want a reminder of that cancer. I want it off. Uh, I'll figure out other ways to maintain my sexuality and have a good body image. And um, and that's how women feel about it. And these are generalities, but the statistics are, are um, were balanced with the um, lumpectomy radiation among the physicians and the mastectomy among the women. If you say to your doctor, well, what should I do? They naturally, it, with good intentions, will say, well, if you're asking me, what I would say is to get the lumpectomy and radiation. But if that's not what you want, you're going to have, you could have regret over that decision. So um, most physicians are happy to hear what your preferences are and have a conversation about it. But we're not trained, doctors aren't trained to elicit your preferences, and we're not trained to figure out what they are ahead of time. Wow. I have so many follow-up questions and comments to that, which is great, but that is kind of a little bit mind-blowing in a good way and helps tremendously as we're going along our own path. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and dial in on that some more. Perfect. Stay tuned. On the Viewing Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. Harkel, Lisa. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we had a little off conversation and I bent your ear for a good 55 minutes. Just kidding. But it felt like that. But let's focus a little bit in your book. Let's start with your steps. The five steps in getting medical care you want and need. That's everything that my book is about. So the book is called Healthcare Choices, Five Steps to Getting the Medical Care You Want and Need. And I will lay those out 
in one moment. But what I want to start with in our in our off conversation before we jump back in, Katie, when we were offline, you were talking about how challenging it was when you weren't feeling well to figure out how to navigate the system. And what I would say is that these five steps that I'll outline, it's important to learn how to use the five steps when you're well over trivial things. Do I need stitches? Do I want antibiotics? Do I need a knee brace? Whatever the case may be, something that is not life-threatening, not making you exhausted, not frightening you. Because if you learn how to use this process when you're well or under not urgent circumstances, you will be so well-armed and you will naturally put these steps in place when it is serious. So let me go through the five steps. So it's called the CARES model. And the C stands for condition. Understand your condition. Now, that may be really obvious, like, duh, of course you should understand your condition. Most people overestimate their knowledge of their condition. The vast majority of educated adults don't know where their organs are in their body. They certainly don't understand why high blood pressure is problematic and how could they ever understand something as complicated as a cancer or a herniated disc or or something that's just much more complicated. So understand your condition. And that means not becoming a doctor over your condition, but doing enough research online that you understand what it is and why it's important to address it and being comfortable that you understand the fundamental pathology, what's going on in your body and why it's important that you might want to take steps forward to get treatment. So understand your condition. A is know your alternatives. There are very, very few conditions in medicine that only have one approach to treatment. Almost every condition has two or more. We talked earlier about breast cancer. You could have a lumpectomy and radiation, or you could have a modified radical mastectomy. If you have a herniated disc, you could potentially do an anterior discectomy, or you could do it from behind and do a laminectomy. There are always options that you have. And a good physician will lay out all of those options for you and give you the pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages, and you use your preferences and priorities and values to decide the best approach for you. Warning signs when you're with a physician or when they say, well, what I would do is, that's a warning sign. That's a red flag. Or if they say to you, well, if this was my wife, I would. Well, you're not their wife you are you. So those are warning signs, which should be a trigger for an individual to, uh, I always use mayoclinic.com. WebMD is fine as well. I like mayoclinic.com. I think it's easier to navigate. They beautifully lay out options for almost all conditions. So know your alternatives. The R is respect your preferences. What is important to you in three categories? What is important to you from a medical perspective? Do you want a cure? Do you want comfort? Do you care about the cosmetic result or does that not matter to you? Um, Do you want to take no risk that this is going to return? Or are you willing to accept some risk because the quality of life for a more conservative procedure is going to make you happier? So what are your medical preferences? Mm -hmm. What are your financial preferences? 
we have to worry about what insurance covers, how much time we have to take off from work, whether or not we're able to fulfill our parental responsibilities with our kids. All of those things factor into the financial. And then the personal or social preferences. How do you want to look? How do you want to feel? What sports do you want to do? What's important to you in your life? And I would look at those three categories of preferences. So that's respect your preferences and you have to sit down and inventory them. The E is evaluate your options. So at this point, you understand your condition, you know your alternatives, you've outlined your preferences, and now you need to evaluate your options. Do that in the privacy of your own brain, your family, your home, and don't put yourself under the pressure of trying to make a decision in front of the doctor that's going to treat you, unless it's a life-threatening emergency. And then that's a completely different story. But most conditions, you have some time, even if it's just 30 minutes to make a decision that's right for you. MRI studies of people, when, when we're sitting in front of an expert, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer, or a doctor, the part of our brains that light up around decision-making and judgment go silent when we're sitting in front of an expert. Your brain sort of gets paralyzed. So (laughs) you sit in front of an expert and try to juggle all these things in your head, you're not going to really be using your judgment because your brain's not capable or you're certainly compromised. So give yourself some space. Even if you're in the ER, you know, pull the curtain back, have them come back in 10, 15, 30 minutes. And then the S is start taking action. You've gone through this whole process. You've made a decision. You've committed to it. You own it. And now it is really important to know what your role is, what the follow-up is, what to look for. Did it work or did it not work? Too many people say, well, I don't, I don't want to think, I'm, I don't want to think about if it's not going to work. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. No, know what the signs are that a procedure, a treatment, a surgery didn't work so that you can be proactive about addressing it earlier rather than later. And so that's the CARES model, C-A-R-E-S. It's five steps. It's really simple. Many in the medical community, we also call it shared decision-making, but the medical profession has overcomplicated what is formally called shared decision-making. So this CARES model is really simple. But I'm going to go back to where I started this answer, which is to say, practicing that when you're in a non-urgent situation that's not life-threatening or scary is so important because you'll get used to the process. For me, it's just how my brain thinks. And I'll tell you, you'll say, well, she's a physician. My kids think the way we think because I make them go through this process with every single thing. Are they gonna be on birth control pills? Are they gonna get an IUD? Are they gonna get ankle surgery? Whatever the case may be. They naturally have been trained to think through it. And the metaphor I use is, you know, if any of us had the opportunity to say, sing in Carnegie Hall, the most important performance of your life, you're not going to sing for the first time in Carnegie Hall. You're going to sing in your school choir, and then you're going to sing in your college acapella choir or whatever you do. You're going you're gonna to practice in much less high pressure, high stake circumstances. The same is true with the CARES model. Too many people say to me, oh, this book, it's really great for my parents because they're 70. No, it's good for your teenager when they're, you know, 18 or certainly a 30-year-old. It's great oh for them. Oh my gosh. You can buy it earlier. Right. So that was laid out so beautifully. And I love that you said it is for every age group. And I also love the fact that 
you lay it out for anybody to understand. It doesn't matter what age, what gender, what religion or anything. It works for everybody. Now, when people listen to podcasts, they generally do it when they're driving in the car, taking a walk, exercising. I'm going to encourage everybody to re-listen to this podcast with a paper and pencil or notes in your phone, because it is so important what you just said, and also buy your book. But the way you said it was just so easy to listen to. You didn't get nervous or frustrated or upset or have any anxiety the way you laid it out. And the model doesn't require that you be a clinical expert. It just requires that you are able to take some control and take some time to think through what's right for you. I consulted with a company some number of years ago and they, they did a Harris survey that showed that people spend more time researching the refrigerator that they're going to buy and the cell phone plan that they're going to buy and the gym that they're going to buy, that they're going to enroll in. They spend more time researching that than the hospital they're going to go to, the doctor they're going to go to. We need to reprioritize where we spend our time on our research. You can't just delegate all of the decision and your whole health to the medical community. It, you're not going to get the best outcome. You can do it. That's not how you're going to have the best health. Well, and I I think we have to look at what's going on in the healthcare system right now, right? They are under stress. I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast about how we train doctors. And there's so much that's changing in functional medicine and all the buzzwords that are there and all of that. So if we are not choosing to take responsibility for ourselves, it's no different than what Pat Miles told us on the process of death. If we are not spending the time on what affects us the most, we are shortchanging ourselves. And you said it, Lisa, in the way, Arkel, that you explained it, it was so understandable that you hear it and you go, well, of course I can do that. I'm a rational human being. I can do those steps. I don't have to know everything. And can you imagine the next time you go into your doctor to talk about something and you say, okay, I've thought about this, 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 and this, and this, that doctor gets what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes with a the patient. They're going, hallelujah. This person is a part of their health journey, as opposed to sitting here saying, well, I had heartburn and I, you know, of course the TV told me to take a Rolaids and it's not working. You know, I mean, it really becomes getting yourself involved in the process. Most physicians will absolutely respect and appreciate a highly engaged patient. You don't need to be brilliant or, you know, with advanced degrees. You just need to be engaged about your health. You know, we've been hearing a lot about chat GPT in the, since November, certainly, and it's hit the airwaves. I'm sure you guys have thought, heard about it as well. What scares me most about chat GPT is that it's so easy to ask it a question and have it tell you what to do. You can sort of do that with the internet today and with Google searches, et cetera. But I think it's an even greater risk with technologies and the AI that are underlying the chat GPTs of the world. And one thing I like to emphasize is that, you know, while those technologies can summarize some good information for you, there's no substitute for personal deliberation on what's right for you. Give yourself the gift of deliberation because it's when you weigh the options, when you take that time that you feel good about your decision 
and you are much lower risk of having regret over that decision. My goal is to have people not have any regrets over Mm -hmm. the healthcare journey that they selected. Lisa would call that being in the weeds. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would. I was just thinking that Katie, actually. I was just thinking that. That's funny you say that. This is incredible. And I want to really encourage people to get your book. So how do they get your book? Easiest way to get your book. The book is called Healthcare Choices, Five Steps to Getting the Medical Care You Want and Need. Easiest way to get it is on Amazon. It's also on Barnes & Noble. Fabulous. All right. Now we're going to really switch gears because you are an incredibly put together woman. You just... You have a lot of experience in being in in the public eye, but what's your day like? How do you, how do you prep for your day? How do you, when you look at yourself in the mirror for the first time, what steps have you taken to get there? Well, every single one of my days is different. So if I'm working at home, I'm in sweats with my glasses on, uh, usually with my hair up in a clip and I don't do much to get ready at all. Cause I love sitting at my kitchen counter with my computer and I'm a data geek. I'm a spreadsheet geek. Cause I'm, I'm always reading, researching. I read for hours every day. That that's, that's a typical day is reading everything, um, in the news and the journals on days when I have to go out on days when I'm on TV, I go to a meeting, I chair a board meeting, have a lot of fun getting dressed up. It's exciting for me to do that. And so, you know, I do what so many other people do. I, I have my whole makeup routine. I love makeup. I have drawers and drawers of makeup. I don't put a lot of makeup on. I just like to have a lot of options. I don't <laughs> like, you know, I like to look pretty natural. Um, but I have my whole makeup routine. I have my Velcro rollers, um, my, uh, you know, my great hair dryer. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're looking for in the question, but it's, I love getting dressed up. I love feeling beautiful. And I work at that not too long. And it takes me, I don't know, 40 minutes to get dressed. Well, you, you do a very good job. And is there a certain color or if you're having, let's say a board meeting or you're going to do a speaking engagement, do you have any lucky pieces in your wardrobe that you think "Ah, I'm going to wear that because I feel so good in that. Or the last time I wore that this happened, like, do you gravitate towards certain pieces in your wardrobe? I, I don't gravitate toward pieces in my wardrobe based on what I'm feeling. I gravitate toward pieces based on how I'm trying to influence the audience. Ah. Great, great answer. There's my thesis statement. (laughs) There's my thesis statement. You mirror your audience. I may mirror them, but I also think about if I need to influence them, who's going to be in the room. When I go into a board meeting, I tend to wear a, a power suit because I think it's important to be in charge. If I'm giving a talk to a group of students at Carlson, I'm going to dress down so that I'm not intimidating. If I'm talking to a group of women, I want to make sure I'm approachable and um, I might wear a dress that's much more feminine. So I think a lot about my clothing and how I want the audience to feel me. That's great. That's ex- that's exactly what I talk about with my clients. So that's fantastic. I'm lo- I love to hear that. And then every once in a while, I have some props, right? So uh, let's talk about those props, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> So I have worn contact lenses since I was 10 years old and, but I, I, uh, switched them out with my glasses and I love a whole wardrobe of glasses and I have pretty, I can, I can carry off pretty big, bold glasses. 
And so I wear my glasses on occasion in more formal board meeting situations, because I find that if I'm needing to make a strong point, especially if there's a lot of men in the room, I can just gently take off my glasses and hold them in my right hand, maybe put them near my chin a little bit to be contemplative. And it's, it's a prop that I use and it, it um, I don't know, I think it's a little bit of a power move <laughs> that I, I have fun with it. I have fun with that. As we talked about what we were talking about this before, and I think we all and anyone listening can understand the term mansplaining. I listen for that. I mean, have you ever noticed that when men are mansplaining or just talking over you, they create a tent with their fingers? It's their power move, right? They create a tent with their fingers. And that I recognize that as a power move that many men and women use, but primarily men. So when I see that move and I'm feeling like I really want to make a point in a in an important meeting in the boardroom, that's when I might do my glasses power move to counter that because it's not natural for me to use my hands that way, but I'll, I'll play with my glasses that way. But I have a funny story about another prop that I've used in the past. I don't do it anymore because my, my contact lens prescription changed. There was a period of years when I wore tinted contact lenses. I loved them. It's just that they don't make them for my eyesight anymore. And I would wear one green one and one blue green one. (laughs) I didn't look weird. I didn't look weird. But if somebody was looking at me, I looked like, what, what's going on with her eyes? Like she does, she have different color eyes, maybe, maybe not. But here's why I did that. I would wear different colored lenses so that they would make eye contact with me. They're trying to figure out what's going on with her eyes, but it was a way for me to make sure that they were listening and we were really communicating. So it was another prop I used in the past. I loved it. I wish I had that prescription and I could use those contact lenses again. I love that thoughtfulness and that really strong approach with the data. And then you've honed that other and really a creative bend to it, if you think about it. So balancing out those creative thoughts with your data driven is pretty special. And I just want to communicate effectively. My whole goal, it's, it's not manipulative. It is just that I want, I want to hear and I want to be heard. I want to communicate and I want to collaborate. And I try to think of all the different tools I have at my disposal, my words, my, my props, my clothes to achieve that. Cause I want to drive change. We need to drive change. That is everything that I'm all about. And I'm going to do everything I can and use every tool at my disposal to do that. Amen, sister. Yes. yes. <laughs> this healthcare yes. system is very challenging and needs a lot of fixing and you know, I'm just one person in this big universe, but I'm going to do what I can to try to make it better for people. Well, then you're bringing people together that can do that, which is really incredible. And, you know, Lisa used a word, I'm going to end with this word in our discussion before we take a quick break and go on to talk about uh, Caring Bridge is the nonprofit that you're bringing forward. Exquisite. I think it's a perfect word that sums you up. What a compliment. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And another word. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. I have a hard time responding to that because um, we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Yes. And I hear those words. I'm not sure that they feel like they fit sometimes, but 
Thank you. I, appreciate I think it. that's a beautiful message for everyone too, because when you hear very accomplished people who are willing and able to say that, because that's just real. So real is another word we're going to add to this. Arkel. It's, so, it's so real. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's important. It's important. And that's really, it all works together. We take that. And so much of this podcast for me has been, okay, I'm talking to myself here and that's important. It's been, um, this has been special. So hang with us for one more minute through our wonderful break. And we'll be back to talk here in bridge. A little insight on working with Renee and her team at Renee Keller interior design. We have put together a team and a process that has been honed over 13 years to create beautiful homes with intentional beauty. We're storytellers through somebody's home. Our job is to take all the information from what a client wants in their home and bring it to life throughout their house. When you walk through their house, it should feel like them. It should have a kindred spirit about them. It should reflect their life, not ours. And so when we are designing, we are personally designing it for each and every client. To explore working with Renee Keller Interior Design, go to ReneeKeller.com. And we are back with our final minutes with you. Tell us about CaringBridge and what that organization means to you, CaringBridge.org. I don't think there's a person on the planet that isn't familiar with, hasn't been on that site, and doesn't have someone they know in their lives who have used it. Millions of people are familiar with CaringBridge around the world, and it's based right here in Egan, Minnesota. CaringBridge is a platform. It was like Facebook before Facebook even existed. And it was started when there was a young baby born named baby Bridget, who was extremely sick and a technology friend of the families was trying to help the family communicate to all of their social circle, their community, what was going on with the baby. And she coded something very simple so that the parents wouldn't have to make 50 phone calls to 50 relatives that they could all communicate at once. And that became, that was called caring bridge because they were caring for baby Bridget. That platform has turned into the caring bridge that we know today. That's accessed by so many people. It's a private personal platform where caregivers or patients, whoever chooses to access it can have a safe way to communicate their story, the help they need, the emotions they're feeling. And what's unique about it versus a Facebook is that it's so private and so secure that it's not at risk. There's no advertising. There's no risk for it being infiltrated uh, or for anyone to see what you're sharing outside of the circle of people that you exclusively invite to it. The reason CaringBridge is so important and so powerful is that we all want help. But what we really all want is to heal Hmm. and healing really takes a community and it takes love and it takes connection. And the, the more you can connect with people who love you, the more supported you feel. And so the real beauty of caring bridge is that it's a platform to, it's like putting a big warm hug around you of all the people that love you, love you can know what's going on, send you, whether it's an emoji or a message or a meal. Um, there's, there's mechanisms for really supporting people with transportation, with meals, with, with other things to make their journey a little bit easier. 
um, Caring Bridge is about healing. And I so love the organization and respect that I was on the board of directors for several years and still select, you know, still am passionate about the organization and selected it as the one that I'd talk about here today. Thank you so much. It is, it is truly has been very important for me to get information on so many people as I'm sure for you too, Lisa. And yes, um, I did not know the story of how it came to be. And so that's very special to know. Yes. Very special to know. Millions and millions of people around the world uh, now access Caring Bridge. So I'm, I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to use it. Thank you. And thank you for being here. If people want to reach out to you, we've told them how to get the book on Amazon. Give us the name of the book again. Healthcare Choices, Five Steps to Getting the Medical Care You Want and Need. But you can also connect with me. You can go to my website, which is www.arkelmd.com. I'm on Facebook under ArkelMD. I'm on Twitter under ArkelMD. I'm on Instagram, ArkelGiorgioMD. It's not hard to find me. And if you want to tune in to KSTP, my segments run mid midday, either Tuesday, Wednesdays, or Thursdays, and then they're always webcast on the KSTP website. I have my own Inside Your Health webpage. Fabulous information from you. Arkel is spelled A-R-C-H-E-L-L-E. Perfect. Thank you again so much for being with us. You absolutely present the most incredible view in your mirror. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be in your orbit. Thank it you. was absolutely wonderful. I appreciate that. We're going to do a quick wrap up, Lisa, because I want everyone to literally get off this podcast and go <laughs> get on Amazon and get her book and learn everything you can and soak up her incredible infectious energy and knowledge. You know what, Katie, I agree. And again, I said it in the middle of the podcast. I also recommend people to re-listen to that part of the podcast and take notes because it's, it's simple information that if you take an extra 15 minutes out of your day, it can help you with whatever comes your way, even if it's for your own children or your parents, just making sure you understand those steps so that you can help somebody else. This book is a great gift idea too, for that very same reason. Yes. She was awesome, as I said, and I learned a lot today. Mm, As did I. As did I. Very special. As are you, my friend, very special. And if people want to get a hold of you and get all the wisdom you have to offer, how do they do that? They can get me through my website, wardrobeconsulting.net, or they can email me at lisa at wardrobeconsulting.net. Thank you. Thank you. I am Katie at katieharms.com. And my website is katieharms.com. You can learn more about us on theviewinyourmirror.com. You can see a list of all of our guests, look at all of our nonprofits, get a little sense of who we are. We would also ask that you like us, share us, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. It means the world to us that you are here listening. And we wish for you the most incredible view in your mirror. Until next time. (laughs) 